1: Welcome back. Hello. Hope you're all well. And hope you're well, Hannah. How are you doing?
0: I'm good. We're recording this episode on seventh of June.
1: Yes, indeed. And what are we talking about today?
0: We're talking about student evaluations.
1: I wonder why student evaluations are in our mind at the moment. Full disclosure: we've both just finished teaching semester, we've just gone through exams and exam boards, so this is the time of year when our courses come to an end, where students are asked to f- tell us what they think about our, our uh, individual modules, so they fill in mm-hmm. evaluation forms. It's also the time of year when nationwide, there's sort of nationwide surveys, there's a sort of NSS, the National Student Survey, that gets filled in this time of the year, So. Uh, We sort of get our report cards, if you like, as to how we've done through the year, we both as individuals and as as institutions of higher education.
0: Yes. We also, our PDRs, our annual reviews, professional development reviews, happen at this time of year. Uh, I don't know when you do yours, but ours Mm. happen Mm. in May, June. which I guess makes sense from the perspective of a research university. Yeah. From the perspective of a teaching university, yeah. maybe not so much. Yeah. Um, given that this is when most of our the bulk of our teaching paperwork gets done. Mm.
1: Um,
0: student evaluations are are fascinating. The NSS the NSS is a is a real driver now yes. of not not just. Um, how universities kind of look at themselves and reflect yeah. on their performance but they're mm. used as part of the sort of complex equations to determine league tables yeah. and league rankings and, um, and
1: we we spoke about some of this uh two or three weeks ago when we when we did our last episode on universities so this sort of carries on that discussion in, in some ways and thinking about universities as service providers, which is what universities are increasingly thinking of themselves as, uh, and students as clients or customers or service users. In other words, the job of the university as it sees it is less to impart education or to change minds or to alter opinions, but... Or even to develop skills. Or even to develop skills. The job of the university is to provide an experience. Yes, and students are asked to rate that experience, and that student experience encompasses everything from um, the the nature and state of uh, student accommodation, facilities within within student unions, um, the the geographic location where the university is, mm-hmm. through to our performance as individual lecturers tutors. Uh, supervisors, whatever.
0: Yeah, and their overall experience yes. uh, on the the program that yes. they choose. Yes. This is couch not just in terms of student experience. Experience is one word. The mm. other word is student satisfaction. Yes. And I find it really fascinating because, of course, satisfaction with something changes over time. Mm. Uh, many of us have developed narratives to explain. Uh, experiences that we may not have enjoyed when we were children Mm -hmm. but that we enjoy now or that we appreciate now for example Uh, my mom didn't let me have cable tv if when i was eight years old and she cut the cable off in my house Mm -hmm. and told me we would never have it again if i were asked to rate Mm -hmm. my satisfaction at the time she would have gotten a zero yeah she would have been rated zero as mom terrible mom Mm -hmm. i hated her Mm. Uh, get me a new one please Mm. Uh, now of Mm. course I appreciate the fact that it forced me to read books Um,
1: obviously the other way around like you you might have loved things at the time and since then you realize that your your love of something was based on either a Problematic understanding of it, or the yeah. ability to compare it with other things, and you've grown up to now realize that the thing that you thought was brilliant wasn't.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So there's a, a sort of limit. Yeah. To which satisfaction, uh, I think, can be used as the ultimate goal. Mm. Of course, we care about things, and I think you don't normally meet lecturers or anyone working in universities that doesn't care about important things like student health, student mental health and well-being, support for students Mm. who are uh, experiencing any sort of difficulty Mm. whether that's in their personal lives Mm. um, or in their academic lives, Uh, things like facilities that are accessible Mm. for people with disabilities Uh, Accommodation that isn't disgusting Mm. and that uh, provides a safe and comfortable place for students to live. Those things we all care very deeply Mm. about. Um, We also care about things like representation for our students uh, from different backgrounds. It's very important Mm. to us Mm. that our students who don't drink alcohol, for example, Mm. whether for faith-based reasons Mm. or for personal health reasons, Uh, have a safe place to Mm. go where they can feel included socially Mm. right these things we all really care about and students telling us that they have these things or where we can provide these things Mm. is all important so what we're not saying is Mm. that students shouldn't ever have the ability or means to kind of have a say in their experience or have a say in the place that, that they are. They are members of our
1: community, of course. Yeah, but but this is where the problem starts, right? It's, 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 it's when the experience is abstracted out of politics. Yeah. As a thing that can be judged on its own terms. Yeah. So to give specific examples, we have modules in the department I teach where student responses will in the same year will range from we have too many white men Mm -hmm. white male authors on the module to why do i have to study things that are about post-colonial literature and other and you know literature written by other people i shouldn't have to do that now an abstracted apolitical reading of that will take those two as equally valid opinions yeah they're not yeah uh we don't i don't think any of us would would accept I shouldn't have to read women authors or I shouldn't have to read brown authors or black authors as a valid opinion. Mm-hmm. But we might, depending on the, the structure of the module, say the that this module needs to have more diversity is a valid opinion. Mm-hmm. And the the only way to disting, distinguish between these two positions is is politics, right? That that's what it comes down to. And um, so much of the problem with the way in which student surveys are conceptualized, put into practice, interpreted uh, and then policy made based on them is that the politics is evacuated out of all of it
0: yes and in 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 every aspect, so not just what not just the content but also the form yeah. so. Um, we know many, many, many studies have been done and every time an evaluation comes up in some way, someone will always bring up unconscious bias. Unconscious bias is absolutely a part of student evaluations, absolutely. Often
1: conscious bias. Often
0: conscious bias. Um, I mean, I've, I've been subjected to reviews where colleagues of mine on a team talk course are, uh, spoken about in racist terms. and that's deeply upsetting. Uh, misogyny appears regularly. I mean, c- comments about what colleagues wear, uh, whether that's clothing or makeup, or how they do their hair, comments about accents, these all come up mm. in student evaluations. And we know that, and lots of mm. studies have been done to demonstrate that this is endemic and mm. part of, in any survey, not just yeah. student surveys. This is yeah. how, how they work. Yeah. Um, and the, the use and design of the surveys also is abstracted from mm. from that element yeah. of surveys as well, um, certainly in this context. Mm-hmm. There's also a question about wh- what they ask, mm-hmm. what kinds of information institutions are interested in, the kind of information mm-hmm. they want to gather mm-hmm. on their mm-hmm. courses and the people that teach mm-hmm. them. Um, St. Andrews has a lot of questions about... How much, how much time students devote to mm. a course, the kind mm. of work that they do, so if they do work beyond the reading list, mm. um, w- how they use the materials, so in terms of online versus mm. non-online materials, mm. uh, those kinds of questions get asked in, in St. Andrew's surveys. They're not asked uh, in Edinburgh's surveys, um, mm. Certainly not in uh, the School of Geosciences and the College of mm-hmm. engineering They're, that's not how our surveys mm-hmm. are framed. Mm-hmm. Um, w- our surveys tend to be uh, is the lect- did the lecturer inspire me? Mm-hmm. Was the lecturer organized? Um, and it was the le- did the lecturer communicate ideas clearly and explain mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. clearly? And at a certain point it's very difficult to determine. Mm-hmm. What organ? What an organized lecture looks like, yeah. or what explanation is? Mm. If you don't understand a difficult concept, there's a process by which y- you, as a student, meet the person teaching you, and you meet mm. in the middle, mm. and you can't determine yeah. cause yeah. and effect. Yeah. There is a an active, an active form of learning that happens, mm. where one. Isn't in
1: charge. Yeah, in, it it just occurs to me as you as you uh, explain that uh, that this connects a little bit to our, our last two episodes about skill and labour. Mm. Uh, there there is a sense in which we are the the student evaluation system is particularly ill-equipped to judge s- the difference between skill and labour for both staff and student. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Are we judging how hard the lecturer is working at explaining it? Yeah. Or are we judging how well, th- how good they are at explaining it? Yeah. Are we judging how hard the students are working? Mm-hmm. Or are we judging how intelligent they are? Yeah. Uh, one could argue that our assessment system is equally bad at, at distinguishing between those two. Yeah. Uh, and and, and that's, a, that's a reasonable point that we could explore in another episode. But it is certainly the case that, the, the question about inspiring is a perfect example, right? Uh, firstly, we could, we could make a case that it is not your job to inspire your students, necessarily. That's not part of your contract, I don't think. Uh, but even if it were your job to inspire your students, is that, what does that look like? Yeah. Is that particular skills about teaching, like how skilled an educator you are? Is it about how many hours you give? you know, how many office hours you Mm -hmm. set aside, how much time, how much one-on-one time you spend with your students? How does, how do we define and particularly how do we quantify what inspiration looks like?
0: Yeah. And also the idea that inspiration is caused by something. Yeah. Yeah. But we all know from memories of when we ourselves are inspired, it's a very kind of unquantifiable visceral exactly. relationship between yeah. an external force and an internal force yeah. and i use the force in a sort of star wars sense that there's a there's something yeah. that causes a relationship yeah. rather than
1: mm.
0: a direct kind of yeah caused by a yeah. affected onto b yeah and there's lots of kind of educational and pedagogical terms to talk about these things. You know, active learning versus passive learning, being partners in your learning, yeah. um, student, you know, ways of engaging students that force them to, yeah. you know, do a variety of yeah. things. Yeah. There's also a sort of, you know, having to do quantitative methods classes mm-hmm. for students mm-hmm. that aren't aren't really into mm-hmm. mathematics. Mm-hmm. There's no way to make that inspiring. Yeah. But in terms of, of skills for mm. f- later in life, it's extremely important for our students mm. to learn how to manipulate data. Mm. Most mm. of them will go on to do jobs that require mm. them to manipulate data mm. in software packages.
1: Mm.
0: And yeah. you know mm. sometimes they're even asked to comment mm. on, on uh, a course's use value in terms of their yeah. future career. They can't tell the future. None yeah. of us can predict yeah. the future. How can they possibly know if they're getting career development mm. skills yeah. when they're not doing their career yet? Yeah. How can co-
1: it makes no sense? It's it's the other thing that just occurs to me as well. Uh, an interesting point of difference is with the way in which we uh, use surveys to. Uh, measure and quantify research impact mm, yep so a uh, a a broad definition of research impact uh, for those of you who are, who are not in this world mm-hmm. uh, lucky you uh, research impact is the the extent to which our research makes a difference makes a change to the world outside of academia yeah um and one of the ways that is typically judged is, if we have a public event, like a public dissemination event, mm-hmm. whether it's a workshop or an activity or a talk or a tour or whatever, is in the survey questions you ask you asked the audience, to what extent this, did this change your opinion about something, or to what extent did this change your mind about something. I've never seen that on a student survey question. No. And it seems to me that that is, certainly in our discipline, that is a key part of what we are trying to do is, yes, we are absolutely imparting skills, we are imparting knowledge, all of those things. But I would like to think in in my own pedagogic activity that my students, by the time I've finished with them, will be thinking about things differently. Yeah. Will have different attitudes and ideas about whether it's gender, sexuality, race, class, politics, whatever it is. That is part of my job description. But... Student surveys aren't designed to say anything about that at all.
0: Well, and in fact, students themselves aren't always the best judge of that change. That they themselves, and we as well, Mm. are not the best judges of our change in opinion, change in, in self, change in worldview over time. Yes. That in fact, that process requires assistance from others to tell us. and to to help us reflect and how a student feels at the Mm -hmm. end of a course and and often uh, surveys are sent out to students before they get their final marks they're sent out when students are feeling unsettled about having to do an assessment that they've never done before you write a new kind of essay or you have to do a presentation and you're terrified of presentations often those feelings of unease Mm -hmm. of stress of feeling stretched Will translate into negative feedback. Obviously, mm. they're being made to feel uncomfortable. It's hard, you know. Often, changing your worldview requires a certain mm. amount of humility and requires a certain amount of kind of stress and, and discomfort. And for us, you know, being a good educator in this in this type of area means creating a safe enough classroom mm. environment mm. for students to feel unsafe yeah. safely. Yeah. And to provide a support network. And I think one of the things that makes us feel so unsettled about student evaluations is that that, the very process of the evaluation, the mechanics of the survey, Mm -hmm. undermine our ability to create Mm -hmm. that classroom space. They undermine our own safety net to feel like we are held by the institution Mm -hmm. to keep our students safe.
1: Because I'm i I don't know if we mentioned this, uh, but but for the avoidance of doubt, we should that it's the it is not just that institutional policy is determined by the survey results. Individual staff career trajectories is, is, yeah. is you know when if if you if you uh, if you are on a fixed term contract and you are looking to be made permanent, that decision might well depend on what kind of student feedback you've got. If you're applying for promotion as a, as a permanent member of staff, whether or not you get a promotion is dependent on what your student feedback scores are like. Yeah, so both at an individual and an institutional level, the, the mass of data and there's a whole other aspect of this about, about data interpretation and, and statistical validity and, and all of those things. but the mass of data that is collected through these various student surveys is a hugely powerful influential thing. Yeah. Which determines institutional policy and career trajectories of individual members of staff. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I certainly don't I don't do much to try and manipulate my student survey yeah. data. There's a lot of a lot of research done on what you can do mm-hmm. to manipulate mm-hmm. your student survey data. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. feed them. Yeah. Um, the timing of the survey, mm-hmm. I mean the key thing you can do to manipulate your student survey data is to be a man, that's the most important thing. Absolutely. Um, so there's lots of ways mm-hmm. to kind of create conditions whereby your survey mm-hmm. data is, I would probably say more representative yeah. of the kind of emotional labor that you mm-hmm, do in mm-hmm, order mm-hmm, to support mm-hmm, your students. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm because um, often students don't see that emotional labor mm. because part of the success of teaching them is they don't see that mm. emotional labor. Mm. They feel safe mm. to explore and you hold them mm. and they don't know yeah. that you're holding them, mm. right? Yeah. So if they don't see the bulk of the work that you do, mm. they can't comment on it. Yeah. Because the goal is for them to n- not see it. And if you show them mm. if you if you pull up the veil a little bit mm. in order to get them to comment on it in student surveys you, at a certain point you sort of come against you you come up against the limits of mm. what you can do with them and so it's always this sort of fine line of how much do i tell them you know they need to take it seriously mm. and how much do i tell them you know how much it matters and how much do i sort of you know feed them mm. a bit in terms of well, you, mm. you say you find these things inspiring so I will perform those inspiring mm. things you know, I, versus how much do I reject that and say, you know, to hell with surveys and mm. they can say what they want okay. um, and normally you know, people in more precarious positions are more likely to take surveys seriously for obvious reasons, mm. you know, lots mm. of the, the, the established, venerable professors I know don't even mention them, and don't even go near them and just ignore them because they can
1: and and the, the more established and venerable a professor you are, the better your survey results often an are anyway, yeah, because you know there's the the power hierarchies yeah. uh mean that you are more likely to get substantive comments,
0: yeah, or you're of, seen of, as being inspiring uh, yeah, yeah. by your very person, yeah. Your pers- your yeah. self. You know, it, it doesn't matter
1: if you don't dress formally because you are Professor X. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to, you know, PG Tutor Y. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. Um there is the reason I bring this up is I think I mean, hierarchies are clearly a factor here. But there is there is something to be said here about expertise, I think. Mm-hmm. About about the relationship between expertise and hierarchies. Yeah. Um, one of the things I really I find fascinating is whenever you have to do a sort of teaching philosophy statement. Yeah. For for job application, uh, everyone always talks about how they believe in sort of democratic student centered learning. Everyone always believes in democratic student centered learning. Yeah. Uh, even people who might not know what that means or looks like believes in democratic student centered learning. Yeah. Uh. And up to a point, that is fine, but a classroom can only be so democratic, right? Like I, as an educator, I am, I have expertise that my students don't. Yeah. Part of the way I run my classroom has to be about setting assessments and setting deadlines and telling students what they need to be doing. And yes, I need to be careful that my for example my assessment methods don't exclude students based on particular uh, abilities, skill sets, uh, requirements and so on. There are ways in which I need to be need to make my classroom as inclusive as it can get. Yeah. But when push comes to shove, I need to be able to tell my students you need to do this by this date, yeah. you need to have read this before the next class, and th- no matter how democratic a classroom can be, it still has to involve that. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. when, you have, when you bring in student surveys, at what point does a student survey become invalid just because a first year undergraduate can't know what they need to have done in a first year class yeah. until they're no longer a first year undergraduate yeah. and there's something sort of very basic that's wrong at the heart of student evaluations it involves asking questions of students that they cannot possibly have the expertise to judge Yeah,
0: yeah especially because a lot of education and a lot of learning yeah. Yeah. because it's not just cumulative yeah. and certainly in the arts and humanities it isn't cumulative yeah. um in the sciences it is a bit more yeah. um certainly at the undergraduate level yeah. you you learn building blocks and skills and then you yeah. put them together yeah. and you become yeah. a more independent scientist yeah. in the arts and humanities you learn you gather a bunch of material you gather a bunch of concepts you practice a bunch of kind of critical thinking skills and arts based you know, writing skills mm. and presentation skills. Mm. But it isn't until far later mm. that you start to be able to reflect on the process by which you acquired those skills, yeah. the people who supported you in that process mm. and what you're now using them for. It's a very slow process. Yeah. And really, I think the best way to do student evaluations would be to go to our alumni five mm. and 10 years yeah. down the line and say, what do you remember most from your degree? Okay. What skills do you use now? Mm. And what what things are most memorable to yeah. you? What do yeah. you value now that you didn't then? Mm. And that is a far more mm. like, interesting exercise and yeah. one that we don't do. Yeah, It's an exercise that isn't done. Mm. Um, because You know, we create the conditions for students to learn. It's essentially like creating a playground with lots of different activities in the playground, or like a theme park. It's Mm -hmm. an amusement park, and students get to pick. They get to pick to a certain extent how they want to focus, what their interests are. They get to choose outside courses. So Mm -hmm. if if you're not a huge fan of Splash Mountain, you can go ride Thunder Mountain three times instead, and you don't need to do calculus. You know, but you're within the park. Yeah. And the story, and the shape mm. of the park, and mm. the, the health and safety, and the mm. accessibility, mm. and the, mm. the way you move through the park is Good. all predetermined by yeah. the people who run Disneyland. And we are those people, essentially.
1: And, and to continue the Disneyland metaphor, you, you might think you don't like Splash Mountain, but you want to know if you don't do it. Yeah. And once you've decided not to do it, you can't see all the lights. Yeah. you can only see Thunder Mountain Yeah, and any question that asks you to compare Splash Mountain and Thunder Mountain yeah. are pointless because you haven't seen them. Yeah, And th- speaking personally, this is a really, this. I remember when I was just getting into the career as a PhD tutor, as a PhD student who was marking essays, there was a process of calibration that was required, I mm-hmm. don't know if you felt the same, there's no way to say this without sounding conceited. Uh, as an undergrad student, you only ever see your own work. Yeah. Right? You're not seeing your, your your peers' work as a rule.
0: Yeah. And sometimes you see one or two other people's. Yeah.
1: But but mostly you don't. And of course, without wishing to sound too conceited, our work must have been better than average. Because otherwise, just in terms of the sheer, the, the way the supposed meritocracy works, we wouldn't have gotten into graduate school, we wouldn't have done PhDs, we wouldn't have gotten into the the jobs that we have which means when you first start marking you need to recalibrate your expectations because you don't think of your own work as above average necessarily yeah but you haven't seen anything else to compare with so when you flip that on its head and ask students to comment on the fairness of marking students are only seeing their own work
0: yeah
1: how can you possibly judge whether the mark you've been given for an essay is fair because you don't know what others have done. Yeah. And even if you don't mark on a curve, even if you mark everything on its own terms, the point of the question is clearly asking the students to respond to fairness or otherwise of marking yeah. compared to their peers, Yeah. the work of whom they haven't seen. Yeah. And even if they had, they aren't necessarily able to comment on what a good first class essay looks like. Yeah. Because they don't have that expertise.
0: Yeah. They have some idea of what's yeah. expected because yeah. we do give them grade-related yes. criteria. We give them rubrics.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, what they can comment on, and I think what we do yeah. often ask yeah. them about, and we yeah. ask them about it informally as well, yeah. is uh are they able to come and chat about a mark yes. are they able to come and clarify feedback yeah. are they able to come in and say i really want to improve in this way what would you recommend you know and if we are not available to them they that's can say that's yes. a problem and yes. they can say and there is a course of action for them to say this person ignored all my emails this person was dismissive of my work they gave me no feedback but i gotta see yeah. you know and, and that is something that we do take seriously, you know, yeah. it's not like we're, yeah. but yeah, the, and there's a, we sit in different, in different positions and there of course is a sort of hierarchy mm. in terms of power, but the nature of the institution is that as, as the person leading the classroom mm. and as the person creating the conditions for the class to mm. run, mm. we have a certain amount of power mm. Mm. over them. Yeah. And I think really a better way of assessing us mm. is to do things like, and academics hate this because they hate it mm. for obvious reasons, things like peer observation yeah. or things like mentoring yeah. where you have, um, you have somebody else who's more, more advanced mm. but someone you trust come in, watch you teach. Mm give you guidance and support, sit down mm-hmm. with you as you design a new course and yeah. say have you thought about doing this kind of mm-hmm. assessment instead, right? That kind of mm-hmm. support yeah. I think would would be a far better yeah. way of yeah. assessing the quality of our yeah. teaching and allowing us to develop a course to make it yeah. as good as possible.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I think one of the things we're sort of, one of the notions we're sort of dancing around a little bit, and we have mentioned this in, in passing, which is how to acknowledge the problematics of hierarchy in terms of race and gender and sexuality and class and all of those things while admitting the importance of expertise that is often the basis for the hierarchy yeah right so uh, if we use medicine as an example yeah is it true that the medical establishment treats different race and gendered bodies differently. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And as a system and as a set of institutions, absolutely. Yeah. And often as individuals. Yeah.
1: Does that mean that my knowledge of those prejudices and inequalities implies that I can perform surgery? No?
0: No. Don't ever perform surgery on me. No, I won't. You are a doctor, but you are not that kind of doctor. Yeah. And I recognize that you and I don't have that expertise Yes. when I go to the hospital.
1: Yes. And f- while we need to be critical about the ways in which the medical establishment works and the particular forms of white, male, straight hegemony that under underlines and underpins different forms of treatment, and... And, and different forms of knowledge, you know, mm-hmm. what, what is thought to be known at this moment.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I still don't know as much about the way my body works as doctors do.
0: Yeah. We talked about this in the vaccines episode yeah. when we talked about expertise yeah. in vaccines and yeah. the, the conflation of a yeah. critique, a critique of medicine, especially yeah. sort of capitalist form yeah. of medicine where yeah. pharmaceutical companies yeah. are creating products. Yeah. And the non-logical, and yeah. in fact, quite irrational, yeah. ir- irrational, illogical yeah. assumption that therefore I know as much about yeah. vaccines yeah. and what they do, yeah. and I know as much about yeah. autism yeah. and what it is yeah. as doctors who spend yeah. their lives studying and treating yeah. and using forms of treatment. Yeah. You know, that link is not no. not there. And Foucault who gives us a lot of this theory about Mm. abnormality and and the clinic Mm. and spaces of discipline like schools and hospitals, Mm. doesn't say Mm. that these institutions should be eradicated and destroyed. Yeah. It's not... That isn't the logical conclusion. And he doesn't move to just because I study psychiatry in this way doesn't mean...
1: We don't, need psychiatrists. we
0: don't need psychiatrists, and we shouldn't. Mm. We shouldn't study the brain at all. Yeah, that's not the point. Yeah. Yeah. and Bruno Latour takes it one step further, kind of in in critical science and technology studies, mm. which is that the whole point of the critique is to make it better. Yeah. not to undermine yeah. it entirely.
1: So, so the the joke I always use with my students when I teach them Foucault is uh, I often I, I have uh, show them pictures of um, lecture theater. As an example of the panopticon, right? So, yep. so Foucault's uh, use of of uh, Jeremy Bentham's panopticon uh, is uh, the idea that regulation happens in part through surveillance, yep. right? So you have uh, have either either an actual human being or the, the sense of a human being who is able to stand and watch over everybody. And if you if you have that, then the people who are who are watched over is, are, are sort of self regulate mm-hmm. uh, in order to in order to fit into the hegemonic ideas of of what is normal behaviour, what is correct behaviour. And lecture theatres are a good example of that, because as as the lecturer is standing at the at the top of the lecture theatre, and the front of the lecture theatre, I can see everybody. Mm-hmm. But if you're sat on a bench, you can't see what's happening behind you, you can only see what's happening in front of you. Yeah. Um, and so I explained that and I used the lecture theatre as an example, but then I always joke, you know, if you, I, I, will, I will still regulate. I will set you essay deadlines, and if you don't submit them on time, I'll give you like penalties. Yeah. Right. So, so you <laughs> can't like you know it's the the meme about sort of Foucault says schools are, are a way to regulate us in in, in order to uh, train us for the for the work of cap for the life of capitalism that we lead. Foucault's mom says yeah, but she's still going to go to school.
0: Yeah. <laughs> right.
1: So 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 Foucault gives us the tools to diagnose the problems in the ways in which institutions that are based on expert knowledge function. But that doesn't mean there isn't a need for expert knowledge. And in, in exactly the same way as my lack of expertise limits how well I can assess the way my doctor works, our students lack of expertise limits the way they can assess our performance yeah there are some things they can assess you know if if I go to see my doctor and my doctor shouts at me and doesn't give me any doesn't doesn't believe me when I say things mm-hmm. about about how I'm feeling that is something I can assess yeah if my doctor says that my I, I, I have a viral infection and antibiotics won't help then I don't have the expertise to know whether whether the doctor is right or not. Yeah. As I, the, the example you used before, uh, if if I ign- ignore all my student emails and don't respond to any of them, my students have the ability to assess my performance on those clubs. Mm-hmm. My students don't have the ability to decide whether or not the amount of reading I'm setting for them each week is too little or too much.
0: Yeah. And in fact, in a in a typical survey, if most of them fill it out, some of them will say the readings were great, I loved them, I would love more, and some of them say there was too much reading, I found it too hard and too difficult. And
1: and that's often exactly the same point. You know, students will say this book or this film was great and someone else will say this book or this film was awful. Yeah. And it comes it comes back to I think the point we were making earlier on about satisfaction, right? Like As, certainly as as an academic in a literature department who does work on literature and cultural studies, to be honest, I couldn't give a shit whether a student liked the text or not. (laughs) So that's not the point. Yeah. It's not relevant whether you liked this book or not. Yeah. It's on the course, read it, learn how to write about it. Yeah. You are not here to study great literature necessarily. You're not here to study things you like.
0: No. And you're not here to just do the things that you enjoy doing.
1: Exactly.
0: So uh, one of the interesting things when I taught uh, in a different program, not in the program I'm Mm. in, but that program had a lot of different types of presentation assessments. So the students were doing different types Mm. of presentations. And students hate giving presentations. They absolutely despise it. The British school system. Mm doesn't really prepare them for it Mm. the american school system does of course Mm. americans are all about presenting themselves in particular ways we invented social media for a reason Um, but the british school system really scares students to have to stand up and be the focus of attention present things uh orally and prepare stuff to put up and talk about it Mm. they really don't like it they complain about it all the time Mm. complain about it all the time. Yeah. On on f- feedback forms constantly in that program, mm-hmm. we were being like, too much presentation. Presentations are hard. I hate presentations. And they would come in and they'd be like, I'm so nervous. And I hate presentations. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay. But when you go into your first job interview, do you think being forced to feel this kind of discomfort and getting used to it and mm-hmm. being given feedback and actually being told, hey, you're pretty good at a presentation. Mm-hmm. I don't know why you're so nervous. Mm-hmm. Do you think that might be helpful for you? Mm-hmm. I think it might be helpful for you, but they won't know until they go and give their first presentation at work or they go and do their first interview Mm -hmm. and are successful at it. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And we know that and that's why we make them do it.
1: Yeah. We know best, basically, is the message of this episode, isn't it? Yeah. Mostly. Yeah. Mostly. This is one episode where we have answers. We normally don't have answers.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when you fill in a survey, think critically about the survey.
1: Yeah. Um, yes. And be kind.
0: Yeah. Yeah. A lot of students say they don't really, they're like, what are these for? And I'm like, mm. well, our jobs. Yeah. Promotion. Yeah. Continuation of a contract. Mm. Getting in trouble in a meeting. Mm. You know, the, yeah. This gets gets looked at by important people,
1: and, and it gets looked at by us. You know, I mean, I, they're are oh, yeah. absolutely ex- like specific things I can point to and, and say I do that because someone suggested. So, so uh, for example, I run a module called uh, Civil Wars on Page and Screen. Uh, the first time I ran that module, there were two sets of comments. One one set of comments was about uh, uh, one particular book that I'd set. Uh, which is a brilliant novel called "To the End of the Lamb" by uh, Israeli novelist David Grossman. It's a very, very good novel, but it's a five hundred page novel that I set in essay week. And I think students were there there was a legitimate sense of can we not have the longest novel the day the, the week they essays to? <laughs> um, so that was one set of comments. <laughs> and then another set of comments or, or one one comment by one particular student said, uh, asked me if I knew the knew a book called Palestine by Joe Sacco, which is a graphic novel set in Palestine. And I did not and I went away and read it, and it was brilliant. So now I don't teach to the end of the land, I, I teach Palestine instead. Mm-hmm. Um, and b- that decision came entirely out of student evaluations. So I certainly don't... I, I, we're not arguing that student evaluations don't have a role in the university, or that students don't... Have a say, or shouldn't have a say in how the university is, is 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 structured. So there are a whole host of, in fact, much better ways than student evaluations. You know, student representation, staff student councils, mm-hmm. um, uh, student representations on school committees, on university committees. On, also, and, and
0: social events where staff and students are encouraged exactly. to spend time
1: chatting. And exactly. Um, and evaluation forms. I think evaluation forms have a role as well. It's just the way they're con- conceptualised, the way they're used, does a disservice actually to both students and staff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think they're they are not fair on the way in, in terms of the way they have an undue effect on individual staff careers. And they're asking students questions that they can't possibly know. And therefore shaping their view of university. Yeah in a way that is not helpful for them, Yeah. Uh, the, the, the message you get in terms of what a university is there to do, purely from a staff survey, or from a student survey I mean, is not helpful and not conducive to what we would see as good university education.
0: Yeah. Let us know what you think,
1: um, tell us how you feel.
0: Tell us your wildest, most bizarre bit of feedback that you've been given.
1: Yeah. And catch you next time. Bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode.
0: I have been Hannah Fitzpatrick.
1: And I have been Anindya Richaudry.
0: You can contact me on Twitter at Dr. H. Fitz.
1: And me at Dr. Anindya R.
0: Our music was provided by the agrarians, and this has been State of the Theory. Thank you. Where Where would we be?